God is in this place. Amen. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles uh, to the book of 1 Peter. I'm saying that for the last time, well, not the last time ever, but for the last time in this series at least. It's our last week in the book of 1 Peter. Also, just uh, we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 6 to 14. Uh, also, just an uh, elephant in the room. My voice doesn't sound great. And uh, I've been praying, been praying. I reached out to my Everyman Warrior guys, uh, the leaders, last night and just said, hey, pray for me that my voice will be able to carry through two, two uh, losing my mind here, two services. Thank you. Two sermons. And uh, whew, I should have had them pray for my mind as well. Um, and so anyways, I got my water handy and my cough drops, but uh, just uh, excuse me, give me grace as I fight through uh, with my voice here. And I always like keeping uh, Mark Toll on his toes with a mute button with my coughing as well. So we've got to share a, a little bit of a God story. I'm not uh, in the uh, habit of answering the phone at 1023 on a Sunday morning, but I was in my office and the phone rang and I just kind of... I was getting ready to leave my office, the phone rang, I just felt kind of nudged from the Holy Spirit that I should answer it, and I answered it, and somebody called, and they said that uh, they really wanted to be at church this morning, uh, but something kind of came up, and something happened last night, and they weren't going to be able to, to be there this morning, but they just wanted to let me know that God is at work in, in this person's heart in a huge way, and um, he said to me, uh, I was walking away from the Lord for many, many, many years, and the Lord has brought me back. And it's because of actually somebody in this church, he said who, I won't share it, it's not my story to share, but somebody in this church, it wasn't a pastor, he said there's somebody in, in your church who is the reason that I'm walking with the Lord again. And so he so wanted to be here, he said he's going to watch on the live stream, so brother, if you're watching on the live stream, I love you, man, and, and we're praying for you, but God's at work. I mean, that's just, I love, it's the joys of ministry is being on the front lines of just seeing God at work. It was nothing I did. I just answered the phone, but it's God at work and uh, through you, so be encouraged. Man, yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Be encouraged. The Lord can use you to minister to these people, even family members or friends who have been walking away from the Lord for years and years and years. Don't give up, because God never gives up, amen? And so, um, but praise the Lord. The Lord's at work, and, and just speaking of the Lord at work, um, just want to say a blessing over the Widdup still in here. Do they um, step out? They, they sat through first service, and Emmerich looked pretty tired up here right now, so give them grace uh, for that. But just want to speak blessing over them and encourage you as a church. This is not something we uh, enter into lightly, missionary partnership. In fact, um, this is the first time we brought on a new missionary partner since I've been here, and um, one of the amazing things about our church is that when we do enter into missionary partnerships, they last a long, very, very, very long time, oftentimes, and so to enter into a new one is a big deal, and we're so excited. It's just such a huge privilege and blessing to be able to partner with Marcus and Sierra and their work in Vanuatu, having already uh, partnered with the Widups and now uh, the second generation going out, so let me encourage you just to continue to keep them in your prayers, and also let me encourage you, if the Lord is leading you this way, to give financially. Uh, like they said, they're at 90%, and I don't know what the dollar amount is between 90 and 100% of monthly support, but if you're able to support them on a monthly basis, honestly, that's the best way you're going to remember to pray for them, is if you're giving them uh, monthly support as well. So if the Lord calls you to do that, 
uh, after the service, you can go back to the, they'll be at a table back there, and you can go, they'll talk to them, and, and uh, they'll tell you how to do that. But let me just encourage that. I think that would be a really neat thing. We get, that's the way it works at Rock Prairie. When we say missionary partnerships, what we're talking about are missionaries who are at all different places throughout the world, and you can see where they're at on the map that we have out there. Um, but we give them a monthly financial support through your tithes and offerings that comes through the nation's team, and then we give monthly support. And so this is a couple that we're bringing on to support financially, monthly. But uh, if you're able to give on top of what we're giving as a church, I want you to encourage you to do that. Um, and then lastly, I really need to be saving my voice here for actually preaching the word. But one more thing I want to say is that when you walked in, uh, you might have noticed the beautiful landscaping out front. Uh, so I just want to say thank you to uh, the McCorkle and Shooter and Crouch families for being, I, I came in here uh, to finish up my sermon yesterday, and they were all out there, the three families, and it seemed like 20 kids between them. I don't know how many were out there, but all with rakes and shovels and dirty hands and faces, and they were out there spreading mulch and planting, and it looks great. So thank you to all of you uh, working on that, and just um, all the ways that so many of us serve our church is just always humbles me. All right, I got to save my voice now, so let's pray, and let's dive into God's Word. Heavenly Father, God, you are good. You are at work. You are moving in this place. Lord, we wouldn't be here if you weren't moving, God. This would be pointless if you weren't in every single part of it, but we know you are. You promise us that you are by your word, God. We thank you. Thank you for the ways that you're moving in hearts and lives, even in ways that we can't see right now. I pray for the brother who called me this morning, just that you would strengthen him right now as he turns his life back to you, God. What a joy. Lord, we pray for Marcus and Sierra and little Emrick. And it's even just been such a joy seeing him grow up over these past several months. And um, I just pray for all these things that we've already prayed for, for their financial support, for you to clear the way, Lord. But I just pray, I want to pray specifically for us as a church that we would partner well, God. You call us to make you known from our neighbors to the nations. Partnering with missionaries is one of the primary ways that we are able to reach the nations with the gospel. And partnering doesn't just mean writing a check and not thinking about them. It means faithful prayer faithful encouragement, faithful support. So may we do that, God. May we hold the rope here for those who have gone and are going, Lord. We thank you for the privilege that that is. Lord, as we turn to your word, as we turn to First Peter, now for our final time, we just pray that all that we've learned throughout this book would continue to strengthen us and equip us. God, that we would make your name great. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, like I said... So last week in 1 Peter, and I'm going to consider it a total failure of my teaching if you're not able to answer this question, okay? So please answer this question loudly and clearly so I can hear you, so I don't feel like I've failed. 1 Peter is written to a group of spiritual what? Starts with an E. Yes, thank you. Thank goodness we got it. All right. I feel good about moving. We were going to start right back in 1 Peter 1 if you guys didn't get that right, so thank goodness. We've had to keep that in mind, haven't we, throughout all of 1 Peter. The recipients of this letter, the context of this letter, helps us to apply it to our lives. 1 Peter was written to a group of spiritual exiles. They were first-generation Christians, people who didn't grow up in Christian homes. They were following the Lord, and their pursuit of the Lord actually brought them great consequences in their lives. So they were outcasts in their homes, in the marketplace, in the public square. They were outcasts in society. 
They were spiritual exiles. And the reason that we started studying the book of 1 Peter is because we needed to be reminded that that's our identity as well. This world is not our home. We were not created to be fully comfortable in this world. And sometimes when we kind of rub up against difficulties in our lives, part of it is because we're trying to sink our teeth into this world so much as to make it our home when it was never supposed to be that way in the first place. This world is not our home. Doesn't mean there aren't great blessings. There's great blessings living in the world. That's something called common grace that God gives to all people, uh, believer and non-believer. There's certainly blessings to be experienced in this world, but we were created for another kingdom. We were created for the kingdom of God. And so as exiles, as people who have been set apart, as we looked through 1 Peter, we've seen several examples of things that in fact set us apart from the world. So just by quick way of review, kind of looking back at all we've learned at 1 Peter, there are really three things kind of fall into three categories of things that are different about us than the rest of the world. And because these things are different, we shouldn't be surprised when we experience life differently and when we experience suffering as a result. So the first thing that we've seen is that we have a different mission than the rest of the world. We have a different mission. If you're in First Peter, just kind of flip back to chapter 2, verse 9. This is probably the key verse in First Peter. It says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why we've been chosen as God's people, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. We have a mission now to proclaim God's excellencies. Our mission is not to proclaim our own excellencies like the rest of the world. We're called to proclaim his excellencies. Our mission now in life, our fundamental reason for being here, isn't to draw as much attention to ourselves as we possibly can, but it's that we must decrease so that he may increase. We can bring him as much glory as possible. And that's part of the reason why we partner with missionaries like Marcus and Sierra, so they can go to the nations to proclaim his excellencies. There's plenty of work that needs to be done all around the world to make people's lives better, but it's empty if his excellencies aren't being proclaimed as well. And so when we send out and support people to the nations, we support those who are proclaiming his excellencies, and that's what we do here as well. As God's people, as his chosen race, as a holy nation, we proclaim his excellencies. Our mission is different than the rest of the world. Second, we have a different mindset than the rest of the world. We have a different mindset. And specifically when it comes to, we saw this in basically the entire middle section of 1 Peter, when it comes to different authorities that God has placed in our lives, we have a different mindset than the rest of the world. We can joyfully and willingly and humbly submit to the authority that God has placed over us because we know that that's not our ultimate authority. Who's our ultimate authority? It's Christ, right? And so because of that, we can joyfully and willingly submit to the authorities that God has placed in our life. Now, we study this passage coincidentally, not coincidentally, but we study this passage in a time when it was really hard to submit to certain governmental authorities, right? It hurt a little bit to study some of these verses. But we, as Christians, need to have a different mindset 
than the rest of the world when we submit to the authorities that God's placed over us. Governmental authorities, yes, but also authorities in our workplaces, authority in our homes, and authority in the church. We relate to it different. We have a different mindset because this is not my ultimate authority. So I don't need to live like this person is going to change everything about my life because I can submit to them joyfully knowing that my ultimate authority comes from God. That's what we, the second thing we saw in First Peter. We have a different mindset. And the third thing we saw is that we have a different model. We have a different model. Different model about how to suffer and different model about how to live. And that model is Christ. And that's what we saw really in the, in the final portion of First Peter. Even though we suffer, we don't experience suffering the same way the world does because Christ is our model. Even though those same sinful pleasures are available to us that are available to the rest of the world, we don't need to indulge in them like the world does because Christ is our model and he's freed us from sin. So we have, as exiles, a different mission than the rest of the world. We have a different mindset than the rest of the world. And we have a different model than the rest of the world. And so no wonder we experience life different than the rest of the world because we've been called out, we've been set apart. We are God's people now. And that brings us to our final section in 1 Peter. And this section is kind of like uh, the section I'm calling the uh, moms dropping their sons off at college uh, portion of First Peter. And you'll have to bear with me on this one, but uh, I think this, I mean, this probably happens with dads and it probably happens with daughters, but it really happens with moms dropping their sons off from college. I'll explain what I mean in a second, but raise your hand if you've had that experience. You've been a mom dropping a son off to college. Okay, very, several of you in here. So this is the, the point that I'm talking about. Like, it's welcome weekend. You're moving in. You've already moved all the stuff in. You moved the couch up the three flights of stairs and finagled it around. And there's never an elevator and there's never air conditioning. You moved all the stuff in. You ran to Walmart. You got all the snacks you needed, all the, the Pop-Tarts for when your son's going to oversleep through breakfast and all the things you forgot. You, um, you had made, like, the awkward small talk with your, the, your son's roommates, parents, right? Kind of get to know them a little bit. And, like, the welcome ceremonies, whatever, have already happened, and all I'm saying is, like, you're at the moment now where basically there's nothing left to do, and all of a sudden it hits you, you're, like, careening to this moment here of, oh, my goodness, this is it. I can't believe this is it, and you think, I don't want this to be it right now, but this is it, and then you start to worry, I don't know if my son's ready for us to leave, right, and so what do you do? Try to cram like 18 years worth of wisdom and knowledge into those last two minutes before you give that hug, right? Brush your teeth every night. Don't stay up too late. Try your best to make friends. Study hard. Don't forget to wear deodorant. Go to class. Mom, I'm fine, right? Is that, I think that's more, can I, is that, pretty much how it goes when you drop your son off to college. Yeah, that's kind of what Peter's doing here at the end of this letter because this is it. This is not like a text message society where he can say, oh, I, I forgot to tell you something in the letter. Like, this is it. This is the last moment as he's writing to them, and he wants them to see the wisdom that he has specifically when it comes to the reason why he wrote the letter. So look at chapter 5. Look down at verse 12 with me. We're going to see his specific reason for writing this entire letter in the first place. Look at verse 12. It says, By Silvanus, 
a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm. He wants them to stand firm in their faith. Moms, when you're dropping your sons off at college, your heart of hearts, your greatest desire is what? For them to stand firm, right? That's what Peter wants. He wants them to stand firm, to finish well. This is a huge theme. Finishing well is a huge theme in Paul's writing as well. Acts chapter 20, he he says this, But I do not account of my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I don't consider my life precious to me at all other than I want to finish what the Lord has given me to do. 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. My dad used to always say, he probably does still always say, I'm just not in his house anymore, but he used to always say, sci-fi, S-I-E-F-I-E. Starting is easy, finishing is everything. I love that. Starting is easy, finishing is everything. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I got to tell you, church, that's my biggest desire more than anything else in this whole world is to be able to say that one day. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And church, that's my only desire for you as well, to one day, to stand firm in your faith so that one day you may also be able to say, I fought the good fight. Boy, looking back, I made a lot of mistakes. If I could do it all over again, I'd do a lot different. But you know what? I fought the good fight, and now I've finished the race, and I have kept the faith. May that be true of every single one of us, church. And as Peter writes, closing his letter, cramming all the wisdom he has into uh, his people, into these final verses, that's the ultimate, that's what, what's going on above all of this, is that he wants his people to stand firm in the faith. And so as we look at these last verses, there are really three things, three instructions that he gives to them, telling them how to stand firm. Rest in God, Resist the devil and remember your hope. So first, rest in God. Look at verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So he says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Now, in verse 5, which we looked at last week, he had talked about being humble as we relate to one another. Now he's saying, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. And when we think about the context that this is written in, once again, he's talking about people who are suffering. Excuse me. He's always on it. Good job, Mark. He's talking about people who are suffering. So instead of saying like hum, being meaning like humble, like don't think too highly of yourselves, he's saying humble yourselves to the suffering that God has you in right now. Like submit yourselves fully and completely to whatever God puts in your path. He's saying you need to be 100% all in with God. Now, some of you are crazy enough to have jumped out of an airplane in your life. Raise your hand if that's you. Wow, a good number of us. Last service I asked that, and one person raised his hand, and I did not know this about him. Maybe you know this. Pastor Jerry 
Look, look at this. And then he sent me this video, and this is Pastor Jerry. He's on the bottom there skydiving. I had no idea that he had done that, and it's just once again a confirmation that I am the least cool pastor on staff. But uh, anyways, Pastor Jerry has skydived, and uh, okay, you can pull the picture off now, JR, but... Uh, for those of you who have done that, who have taken that step out of the plane, right, what's, what's pretty much plan a, and a, B, and C for you landing safely? It is the pack that is on your back. That's it. The parachute. I guess you probably have a backup in there, so that's your backup. But that's it. Like, the parachutes are your plan. You're not, like, going before and, like, stacking up a bunch of pillows on your landing spot just in case the parachute doesn't work. Like, like that's it. That is your backup plan, and it's your primary plan. It's the plan. It's that this parachute is going to open. And what Peter's saying is you need to relate to God in the same way, that humble yourselves, give yourself just fully and completely, 100% to him, like just humble yourself under his hand and give all of your anxieties to him because he's going to take care of all of it, all of it. Give yourselves fully to him, and that's hard to do. And I think a lot of times we live our lives in such a way where we're giving ourselves a lot to God, but we're still hedging our bets maybe with some other parts of our lives. One time I was in uh, Guatemala, and I heard this story about this guy uh, who's in his 70s, and he'd been uh, with the same woman for years and years. I don't know if I've shared this with you or not. He'd been with the same woman for years and years and years, and uh, they had kids together. They had grandkids together. They had, I think, even great-grandkids. Like, they'd been together for their whole lives, 50 years, but they'd never gotten married. And so the pastor of the Guatemalan church asked this guy, why haven't you gotten married to this woman you've been with your whole life? And he said, I just am still not sure that she's the one. <laughs> Which is hilarious for a number of reasons. I mean, number one, this guy thought he was a catch, I guess, that maybe there was going to be some younger lady out there who was uh, really interested in the 75-year-old man who'd been living with this woman for 50 years and had kids and grandkids, but um, wasn't sure that she was the one, wasn't ready to commit yet. Church, don't live your life with the Lord that way, right? Coming to church, but I'm just not 100% sure I just want to go all in on this just yet. Church, go all in. Humble yourselves fully and completely under the mighty hand of God because he will exalt you at the right time. Cast all your anxieties, everything that troubles you, just give it all to God. Don't hold any of it back because you think you can handle it better than he can. Give it all to God because he cares for you. Not, doesn't mean, that verse doesn't mean cares for you like, oh, he like cares for you, pats you on the head. Like He takes care of you is what it's saying. He will take care of those things. We need to be willing to fully rest in the Lord. And what a blessing that is. I mean, what kind of a God does that? It just says, I'm going to take care of all of your worries. Just humble yourself under my hand and I will exalt you. God doesn't have to do that, but he does because he loves us so much. So rest in the Lord. Maybe that's just the one thing you need to hear this morning. Just rest in God. Quit trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to carry your burdens, your anxieties. Like just rest in God and give it all to him. You don't need a backup plan. He's a good plan, A, B, C, and Z. He cares for you. Second, second piece of wisdom that Peter gives on his way out, resist the devil. Resist the devil. Look at verse 8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We got to be on the lookout, he says. Be watchful. Why? Because your, adver your adversary is prowling around. And he wants to devour you. You have an enemy. Let that sink in. You have an enemy who right now wants nothing more than to devour you, than to destroy you. You ever watch these uh, nature documentaries with the lion getting the zebra, right? What's the lion do? Does he stand where the zebras normally are and just roar as loud as he can until they come to him? No. He sneaks around. He hides out until the zebras think it's safe, and then bam, he gets them, right? It's the enemy. He wants you to think that he doesn't exist. He wants you to think that there's nothing to worry about. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around, looking for someone to devour. So we're called to be sober-minded and watchful and resist him, standing firm in the faith. That's what we're called to do because we have an enemy. Stand firm in the faith. One of the main ways that we can stand firm in the faith, it's nothing complicated, but it's just being in God's word on a regular basis. We've got to be in God's word. I want to show you this. This is something that uh, Pastor David and I were on a Zoom call with somebody who, uh, who works with Every Man a Warrior this week, just catching up, and he showed us this, and it's a, st a study that the Navigators did in 2013 on the correlation between regular Bible reading and like certain behaviors in life. So looking at people who are in the Bible four times a week or more, and then the correlation between that and their lives, and, and what they found was amazing. So if people reflect on the Bible four more times a week, like studying it for themselves, hearing a sermon. If you're four or more days of the week, their quote-unquote odds of getting into temptations significantly decrease. So those who are in the Bible four or more times a week are 62% less likely to drink to excess. They're 59% less likely to view pornography. They're 59% less likely to have sex outside of marriage. 45% less likely to be caught up in gambling. 31% less likely to be lashing out in anger. There's more. It's, it's not only just sins, but it's also just uh, certain struggling with certain issues like feeling bitter. 40% less likely to just feel a, a bitterness. 31% less, less likely to feel discouraged. 30% less likely to feel lonely. These are staggering statistics, but there's more because that's the negative end. Here's the positive end. If you're in the Bible four or more times a week, those people are 416% more likely to give generously to God's work, 407% more likely to memorize Scripture, 228% more likely to share their faith with others, and 218% more, more likely to give generously to others' needs. Now, this is amazing. Now, I don't think it's like a legalistic, like as soon as you get to four, then like that's good, but three or less is bad. That's not what I'm saying. But I think if you're in the Bible four times a week, that's a habit, right? That's more often than not. And so those are who are in the God's word four or more times a week on a regular basis, building up that habit, you'll start to see change in your life. So, man, I know it's, again, it's not like a magic formula, but it is the Spirit working through His Word. And so if you want to know what to do in your relationship with the Lord, start by opening God's Word. 
And I firmly believe that we need accountability to do that in our lives, and that's why we're so big on getting together in groups at our church and going to encourage you once again to do that. But, man, this is so important. If we want to stand firm because we have a real enemy. If we don't have a real enemy, then I'm just blowing smoke up here, right? But we do. We have a real enemy. So we need to do whatever we can to arm ourselves. And that means, first and foremost, getting in God's word, church. So let me just encourage you to spend time in God's word. We're going to stand firm. It's not complicated. It's not a fancy new program. It's nothing new. But it's what we need. We need to be in God's word. Fighting a battle. Doesn't mean you need to be afraid. I don't want to build up like a fear of the enemy because God promises he'll protect us, right? Don't need to be afraid. But we also, just because we're not afraid doesn't mean we need, don't need to be alert and watchful. And sober-minded. That's what Peter says. Be alert. Be watchful. Be watching out for the ways the enemy's trying to get you to stumble. He wants to take away all credit that God has for what he's doing in your life. Don't let him do that. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Be watchful. When you're discouraged by suffering, when you're ready to give up, remember this, what, this reminder in these verses that other brothers and sisters around the world are going through these exact same things. You're not the only one. Something the enemy loves to tell us is you're the only one struggling with this right now. You better just keep it to yourself. No. There's other brothers and sisters all over the world who struggle with these same things. So stay encouraged, stay alert, stay watchful, and resist the enemy. Finally, we're called to remember our hope. Remember your hope. Verse 10. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will him will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this is one of these verses I wish we could just kind of, oops, sorry about that. I wish we could just kind of meditate on this for an entire sermon. I'm going to read it again slowly. If you're looking for a time to spend in God's word this week, this is a good verse to meditate on. I'm going to read it again slowly. Just think about it. And after you have suffered, a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will, I've been making a habit of underlining the wills in my Bible, that you should do that. When it talks about what God will do, if God, it says God will do something, guess what's going to happen? It's going to happen. He will do it. God himself will, underline will, himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. we got to cling to these promises, church. Think about it. There's three promises that I see. First of all, that our suffering is temporary, right? It says after you've suffered a little while. Suffering's going to come. It's guaranteed. You're not going to get out of this world without suffering. But it's temporary. It only lasts a little while. Now, it might feel like a long time to us, but it's not. You might, even if you have a terminal diagnosis of something, it's still, there's a promise that your suffering is temporary. After you've suffered just a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory, that's the second promise. The suffering's temporary, but the glory that we're called to is eternal. It's going to last forever and ever. And it's because of God's extravagant grace that he promises us an eternal glory. Can you even imagine that? You can't. It's a trick question. 
No. Imagine that. I was thinking, I had this random thought in my head the other day. This is bad. Maybe this is the Sudafed talking, but I'm going to just share it anyway. I had this random thought in my head the other day. Like, we have, uh, I have some cousins, like half-step cousins that I uh, don't see very often, and, uh, but they love the Lord. And I was just thinking to myself, someday in eternity, I'm going to love, like, that person like more than I love my wife now because our love is just going to be so pure in eternity, right? As brothers and sisters in Christ, like the love we're going to experience in Christ for one another is going, is going to be greater than anything that we're going to feel even right now. Even the greatest love that you feel right now is just like a taste of what it's going to be in eternity. So the suffering that you feel right now that is temporary is just getting us more excited and more ready for the glory that we will feel in eternity, which will last forever and ever and ever. So press on because it's worth it. And how do we know we're going to get there? That's where we said underline that will, because God will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God's going to do that. You're suffering right now. You're in exile right now. You don't have a home. But someday God's going to make everything right. And he's given us his spirit as a guarantee that that's going to happen in the future. Praise the Lord. I was talking to someone this week from our church who's going through a trial. And uh, they said that uh, we've been walking with the Lord for a few years. And someone who loves them very much said, if, if you'd gone through this before you knew the Lord, there's no way you'd be going through this as well as you are right now. That's God at work, is it not? <laughs> that is the Lord working. That is evidence of him working in our lives. He is working in your life. God himself will do this. Praise God. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. That's why we sing that song so much. God gives us strength right now. Whatever you're walking through, he gives you strength to get through it right now, and he gives you a bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine and 10,000 beside. Great is his faithfulness. This is Peter's final message to the elect exiles. Stand firm. Don't waver. Rest fully in the grace of God. Resist the devil. And remember your hope. Remember your hope, because while it's true that you're suffering right now, it's only going to last a little while, because God guarantees that to us. Praise God. There's church. There are so many opportunities to fall away. We see that over and over again. Stand firm. Stand firm. It's hard being in exile sometimes, isn't it? But it's so worth it. Jesus is worth it. So press on, church, and someday, Lord willing, you are going to be able to stand up and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. May that be true of every single one of us. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for this book of 1 Peter never ceases to amaze me that something written so long ago in such a different world can be so relevant to today. But God, we know that's because the Bible's not like any other book. The Word of God is living and active. 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of bone and spirit, joint and marrow. God, your word pierces us. God, we thank you for the promises that we have in your word, that after we've suffered for a little while, God of all grace, who's called us to eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We praise you. So strengthen us even now. Strength for today. God, and may we look forward to the bright hope for tomorrow. We love you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.